There was no window or mattress or bed springs above him. He stared at the tile and how peculiar it was. After some hours, he saw he wasn't alone. A small ant had crawled across the grout and looked at him momentarily before going off into some random direction and disappearing into the wall. His elbow was swollen, his knuckles still torn, his face was bruised, his vision was blurred. He was unsure of his thoughts. They seemed knotted and pointless. He found himself drenched in sweat and at times like his heart had stopped beating entirely. For a moment, he imagined there was a horse who had walked off of a bridge and badly hurt its legs. A tow truck then discovered the horse's body and dragged it off down the road. The horse whimpered and wished for an end of its suffering. Herman woke up from a slamming sound, realizing the extent of his dream. A plate of spiral noodles came in through the door. When he saw the noodles, he laughed and did not know why. He felt resentment and graciousness. He laughed and lay on the ground thinking of the spiral noodles. His laugh had become ghostly, and the sound of it reminded him of his friend Paul. When the laughter emptied, he felt he entered a certain fog, and in that fog, he felt that he had almost kicked that bull terrier's ass. There was something to be said for that. He knew that he wanted to fight again, not for the sake of getting the money, not for the sake of getting another salt bag. He wanted to fight again for the sake of winning. He stood and put his fists up. He became a shadow boxer in that room, thinking of the opponents he had known, thinking of the next fight. When Herman returned to the room, Paul laughed and said, Bro, man, what up? They pounded fists, and Herman had a large grin on his face. That was a fight, man. That was a match for the ages. Paul patted him on the back. Sean said nothing. He only stared at his chess game. Yo, come check this out, man, Paul said. Herman followed Paul to his bunk. Paul opened his pillowcase and revealed a wrinkled bag. He opened the zipper and showed Herman a stack of cash. And that's not even all of it, man. Paul laughed again. He handed Herman some of the money. Herman stood dumbfounded. He was overwhelmed by some excitement and joy, but that vanished soon and was replaced by an odd sadness and confusion. We won? Herman asked Paul. Paul laughed and said, No, man, we did not. Herman's head turned and he looked at the money in his hand. Betting against the favorite, said Paul. That's what I do. Paul could see that Herman didn't understand what he meant. Well, man, Paul said. He sat and opened a plastic soda bottle and took a swig. He offered a sip to Herman. Most everyone who bet, they bet on you to win. After what you did to those guys in the can, Paul said. Herman nodded. And my strategy, bro, is always the same. Betting against the favorite. Gotta go against what everyone else is doing. It doesn't mean you always win. But when you do, man, when you do, you'll be laughing your way to the bank. Herman looked at the money in his hand again, and he understood now it was because the bull terrier kicked his ass. Paul laughed something maniacal, and Herman felt its chaos. Herman felt sorry, perhaps for himself, or perhaps for something more than that. Paul said, Bro, we got the money. A strange wave of nausea came, overcame Herman. Now that he had been without the salts for some time, he was not as desperate as he was before. But he did not want to let Paul down, and he did not forget how they helped him. He handed the cash back to Paul for his share of the dandruff salts. 
They ate their breakfast, stood in the yard, read their books, and went back to the room to train and take salts. You might look like a small kid, man, Paul said, but that doesn't mean nothing. They lay on the ground, and Paul wrapped Herman's legs to fit around his neck, showing him a chokehold. This is my signature move, bro. You could defeat any opponent with this. They grappled, and Herman had trouble holding his legs around Paul's neck. Paul said, Man, I ever tell you about my buddy Larry? No, said Herman. We were sitting around at home, bored out of our trees, and we thought, Man, you know what? We should try to rob a bank. So I went into my mom's closet, and I got one of her stockings, and I put it on my head and wore it like a mask. I looked like a pro, man, and I brought Larry in a jar. He's a newt. I put another stocking over the jar too, so we both had masks. Herman was out of breath and trying to grapple Paul back into the chokehold. And then, we went down to the bank and I told the woman there, Listen, if you don't have me over a trash bag full of cash, I'll open this jar and send Larry after your ass. And she started losing her mind, man. She was pissing herself. She forked over so much cash that the garbage bag started ripping, man. So I had to give some back. And then I was just walking down the street with Larry and the trash bag. It actually worked, man. Paul laughed. Herman lost control of the choco completely. Paul stopped and set it up for him again. And man, I didn't even know what to do with all that money. So I went into the gas station and I tried to buy every single bag of potato chips off the rack. Literally put them all on the counter. But the guy there was so pissed, man. He wouldn't even sell me them. So I took a matchbook from the counter, like the complimentary one, and I lit all those chips on fire. And then the clerk was screaming his head off. He was freaking out. The place was filling up with smoke and we had to bail. I tried taking the money with me, but the bag ripped on the sunglasses thing. We ran out and got across the street. And you know what, man? What? said Herman. He finally had Paul in the chokehold. We kept thinking the gas station would explode, but it didn't. Probably for the best, man, but man, you should have been there, bro. It was hilarious. Paul flipped over. You see how that is? He said. Herman nodded and became frightened at the look in his eyes. He thought that Paul may soon use him as a mop. That's what you gotta do, man. That's the lock I'm talking about. You do that, I'm telling you. You could destroy anyone. I don't care who they are. You got it? Herman struggled to keep his legs in that formation. Now you got it, man. Pull in. Paul said, but Herman saw that he would strangle Paul if he did that. Come on, man, Paul said again, but Herman wouldn't do it. Paul screamed, Herman, do it, man. Finally, Herman did. He saw Paul's eyes bulge and his voice became harsh. He could not hear what Paul said, and then Herman released him. Paul nodded and said, see, man, you could have gone longer, but that's all right, man. I get it. I get it. But you know what I'm saying, right? Herman didn't want to look at him. You know what I'm saying, man? Herman nodded. They took some of the salts, and Herman lay in his bed. He imagined he was inside of a Slurpee machine. He thought of walking along a tiny ice cube as it melted infinitely. He imagined that he had died and become an air conditioner. He felt there was water dripping from him, and that his toes were circling above him. He lay on the mattress and looked at the bed springs. He looked at his knuckle, where the skin had torn. It had healed but he hit the bed springs and it broke open again. Paul came over to him and said, You know that guy Wilbur? No, the hot dog kid, Paul said. 
Herman nodded. He wants to set up a fight. He thinks he can take you. Herman shrugged. Up to you, bro, said Paul. Okay. You'll do it? Herman nodded. Alright, bro. I'll set it up. But you know something, man? Herman didn't know. You could crush that guy, man. Herman looked at him and was unsure if that was true. Man, I'm telling you. Still, Herman looked away. Paul took Herman's shoulders and he said, You're a champ, bro. Don't ever forget that. Herman nodded his head and saw Paul's conviction. They sat in the lunchroom and Herman felt grateful to eat. As he chewed the food, it occurred to him that the feeling was a trick. The more he appreciated what they gave him, the more control that they would have over him. He became angry. He took his plate and stood on the bench. He moved his arm back to frisbee the plate towards the trash, but Sean reached out his elbow and stopped him dead in his tracks. You got something to say? Sean said. Herman saw that Sean had no patience for him. No, Sean said. Herman didn't say anything. You got a problem, man. Herman looked away from him. You gonna cause a scene or raise hell for the rest of us? Herman didn't know what to say. What, man? You're feeling sorry for yourself? Sean said. Herman didn't respond. He saw that Sean's temper heightened into something he hadn't seen before. You know what, man? I'm stuck with your dumb ass, moping around all day and I've had enough of it, Sean said. Herman felt his blood boil. What, man? said Sean. Nothing, said Herman. Nothing? All right. We're good, man, Paul intervened. How's that? Sean said. We're good. We got a business to run. Huh? What, man? Paul said. He got off the bench. You got a business to run? That's what I said. Getting the kid hooked on that shit so you can use him for some get-rich-quick scheme? Sean said. Man, if he doesn't want to fight, he doesn't have to. And if he doesn't want to take any salts, then he doesn't have to either. People get hooked on that shit, man. They don't have a choice. They don't, eh? Said Paul. He looked angrier than either of them had ever seen. You know what I'm talking about. What's that, man? Paul said. You heard me, said Sean. You got a problem with the way things are going, man? Yeah, I'm stuck with you numbskulls all day, every day, and I've had enough. So like I said to him, you can sit around and feel sorry for yourself, or we can take a hike and get the hell out of here once and for all. Up to you. Paul stopped. His demeanor changed. What do you mean, get out of here? Nothing, man, said Sean. You got a way out of here? No, forget it. You said we can get the hell out of here. Yeah, that's what I said, man. You want me to say it again? They were quiet. You made a choice to get stuck in here then? Paul said. Sean didn't respond. Or did you make a choice to get the hell out? Sean stared back at him. You got a way out or not, Paul said. Working on it. Sure. I'll tell you when it's done, said Sean. Sure, man. Tell us when it's done. Sean was furious, and he didn't look at Paul again for some time. You said you were in this with us, but where have you been, man? Hiding behind your chessboard? Not doing anything for anyone? At least we're making the best of what we can. We're working together. But you're living in some vacuum, man. Sean didn't respond for a few minutes. You want to see a vacuum? Paul shrugged. Sean said, when we get back to the room, you come over to my table. I'll show you a vacuum. Herman had no idea what he meant by that. Good, Paul said. 
When they returned to the room, Sean reset the chess pieces and told Herman to sit across from him. Paul stood near them, watching the game closely. Each round happened quickly, Sean killing Herman every step of the way. They stayed up long past usual, moving the pieces throughout the grid. Sean was impressed by Herman's capacity for silence as he infinitely examined the pieces. Eventually, Sean said, You have to be forced to act. Herman looked at him and did not understand what he meant. You cannot have a choice. You must be put in a position where you have no choice. Still, Herman sat there, his heart beating more quickly. When you fought those guys, if you let them move, you would die. Herman still stared at the pieces, seeing one had a clear path across the grid. So you did what you had to do, Sean said. Herman didn't look at him. When you're training, you don't hit as hard as you would. You know you have your coach's loyalty and you believe that he will lead you to victory. But when you go to fight out there, what happens when you lose? Herman didn't respond. Instead, he cut his piece across the board. After he moved it, Sean killed it immediately. What happens when you lose? Sean said. Then we don't get any money, said Herman. He moved another piece to retaliate. Sean nodded. He didn't look at the board, only at Herman. And if you don't get any money, then we can't bet on the fights. And if you can't bet on the fights, then we don't get any money. And then we can't buy another salt bag. And if you can't buy another salt bag, Herman had become irritated. He wanted to hit the chessboard off the table. Sean saw the aggression in him. It seemed they orbited a strange juncture, like moths pecking at a dead light bulb. And then, Sean killed another one of his pieces. He waited for Herman's response, but Herman had no words. Herman slammed his fist onto the table, flipping the board and scattering the game. Sean did not flinch. He only took off his slipper and used his foot to put the pieces back to where they were. Paul stood near the window, looking at the grate, his hands behind his back. Herman had retreated to his mattress. He stared upward at the bed springs and punched them repeatedly until his knuckles bled again. Herman said finally, when is it? When's what? Paul said. The next fight. Paul cleared his throat and said, tomorrow. The boys were silent until Sean spoke. Well, you can flip the board then too. Herman and Paul both became immediately enraged. Who said he's going to flip the board? Sean stared at the chess pieces. Who said he's going to flip the board? Paul said again. If he can, he will, said Sean. Still, Herman was infuriated by Sean's comment. Sean cranked his head towards him and said, There's a part of you, man. People will always tell you that you have a choice. But if you look closely enough, you'll see there's a part of you that doesn't. Paul now understood what Sean meant. He looked at Herman also. The clarity mustered some thought of the lunchroom guard. Herman remembered his body contorted in the pooling blood. He had been forced to act then, and he had won the match. He did what he had to do. He was pushed too far into the corner, and there was no choice. Herman returned to the chessboard. He moved his piece. Sean responded by killing it and taking it off the board. Herman could see now why it should not have been where it was. They stood around the yard. The crowd was bigger than last time. They clustered around the parking curbs. Paul stood at Herman's side. Across from him was the hot dog kid. 
His body looked like it was made of cheap meat, and his face looked like a stale bun that even pigeons couldn't peck their beaks into. He spit onto the ground and stretched out his neck. He had a high-pitched voice, and as soon as he saw Herman, he said, Yo, look at this little bitch. Herman tossed his shirt onto the ground. He felt his fists and squeezed them in and out. He hopped up and bounced along the pavement in his sneakers. He could see the fear on his opponent's face. He knew it like it was his own. The ref yelled for the fight to begin. Herman met him at the center of the board and took the first swing. The crowd lit up. The hot dog kid came after him, swinging fast into Herman's ribs. Herman went down but rolled and got up again. He was dizzy and tripped over himself. The hot dog kid laughed and beat on his chest like a gorilla. Herman tried going after him, but he got smacked again. He was even dizzier. He fell onto the pavement. The ref went over and started to count him out, but he got back up. He squeezed his eyes shut and tried to recalibrate himself. The hot dog kid came after him again, and he punched Herman over and over, hitting him left and right. Herman could hardly breathe. He kept his hands up to block the punches, but it wasn't working. Herman fell back onto his hands and knees. He was too weak to look up, but he heard the hot dog kid screaming and taunting him. He heard the crowd cheering. He felt the shadow looming over him. It was the hot dog kid coming to knock him out. But when he got close, Herman swung upward to his jaw and then kneeled, kneed him in the teeth. The hot dog kid flew backwards and Herman hit him across the face again while he was still in the air. The crowd was silent as the hot dog kid's head whacked against the parking curb. Herman bounced along and waited for him to get up. And as soon as he flinched, Herman hit him down again. He kneeled onto the ground and swung across his face, hitting him left and right. The ref screamed for Herman to stop and pushed him off the hot dog kid. The hot dog kid was done. He was merely gelatin and toothpicks. Herman had kicked his ass, fair and square. The ref took Herman's fist and held it into the air. He yelled, We have a winner. We have a winner. Paul ran over and Herman couldn't wipe the grin off his face. In the midst of the crowd scattering, some guys came out to Paul and forked over all kinds of cash. They returned to the room and Herman stood like a rabid animal. A profound hyperactivity had come over him. He screamed and punched his fist against the wall. He jumped back and forth and relived the fight. Sean had not come to watch the round and he didn't ask how it went. He ignored Herman and Paul. Instead, he sat with his chess pieces. He seemed even more focused on them than usual. Paul opened a new bag of dander salts, and before long, him and Herman were in an incoherent daze. The fulfillment of winning the fight did not last for long. Herman dreamt of nothing, and in the morning, he woke up to Sean kicking his bed frame. Let's go, man. Wake up, man, Sean said. Herman turned away. Get up. You're late. Herman didn't say anything. Herman, you gonna stay back today? Paul said. If he stays back, we all get shit for it, so come on, man. Sean kicked Herman's bed even harder. Man, let him be, said Paul. S what, so he can waste away on all that shit you've been feeding him? Hey, man, Paul said. What? If he doesn't want to come, he doesn't have to. Herman, get up, Sean nudged him. Let him be, man. No, and you know what? What, bro? I don't want any more of that shit in this room. I'm done with it. You got that? I don't want to see it again. I'll make your life fucking hell, man. Paul laughed and Sean pushed him back towards his bunk. 
You want to go, man? said Sean. He pushed Paul harder. He could see Paul was not going to hit him back. He swung his elbows at Paul as hard as he could. Herman got up. He came over and threw Sean onto the ground. Fuck off, Sean said to him. Hey, it's all right, man, Paul said. And he tried to help Sean up. Don't touch me, man, Sean said. But still, Paul helped him to his feet. He could see Sean's eyes were wet and he seethed with anger. There was a long silence until Paul said, You want us to quit? Sean nodded. His posture took on a shape that made him look frail and small. Then show us the way out, Paul said. Sean looked at Paul, and then he looked at Herman. The plan isn't ready. Man, said Paul, and it is what it is. They sat in front of their oatmeal. The ceiling fan spun wildly above them. Herman's head pounded. Paul muttered something to himself. And finally, Sean said, There's a pathway in the air vent. It leads out to the back exit. I don't know if it's a clear path, but we can get into the library, break through the window, and go through the yard. There's a place we can climb over the wall. We need to figure out a way through the barbed wire. There's a good chance it won't work. I think in all likelihood, it will fail, but that's what I've got. Herman and Paul looked up from their bowls. We can get up there, Saturdays, in the morning. There's a changing of the guards. The guy leaves at 6.30, and the other guy doesn't show up for another 10 or 15 minutes. I've watched it for months. It never changes. Paul looked at Sean. His anger had dissipated. What's today? Paul said. Sean thought for a moment. Thursday. Herman looked back at his bowl, noticing the ceiling fan shadow as it flickered into the oatmeal goo. Paul burst into laughter. Herman looked up at him and saw that Sean smiled also. Herman looked between them both, unsure what to make of it all. Herman was not as sick as he was the last time they had stopped using the dandruff salts, but Paul seemed to be in brutal shape. He looked very pale, and he told the librarian that he was all good, but had just ate some rare lobster. He vomited into a small trash can with his thumb held high in the air. Herman looked up at the vent in the library. He imagined how it would be climbing through it. He was frightened. It seemed impossible. But if Sean and Paul were going to be there, then he could do it. Paul continued vomiting throughout the night. It smelled like roasted mothballs and rotten batteries. At a certain point, Paul said, Yo, Herman. Herman got up and looked at Paul. Yo, come here, bro. Herman did. We got an offer for another fight. Herman nodded. It'd be tomorrow, after supper. Paul vomited into his plastic bag. If you aren't up to it, then all good, man. Herman looked at the windowsill. He saw some clouds floating across the night sky. They seemed pointless to him, until a bright light flashed within them. The plane slowly tore through the cloud. He watched it until it faded off. Okay, said Herman. Paul nodded and said, cool, and vomited again. Herman lay on his mattress. He thought of what he would take with him when they left. He wanted to take his pillow, but he knew that he wouldn't be able to fit it through the vent. He didn't have much else. He looked up at the bed springs. Hey, guys? Herman said. Sean looked at him. Are we going to stick together after? Hell yeah, brother. 
said Paul. Got nowhere else to go, said Sean. In the morning, Herman woke up and saw Paul was not awake. He went to wake him. Paul smiled and said, All good, bro. Herman saw how sick he was. You guys go ahead. I'll be good for the fight. Sean heard Paul's tone and knew he was too ill to leave the bed. Sean and Herman had their breakfast. They read their books. They stood in the yard. They ate their supper. They returned to the room, and Herman saw Paul had not moved. He went to him and saw an empty bag of dandruff salts. The white speckles were sprinkled all over Paul's shirt. He saw that Paul's eyes were open, but his body was limp. Herman shook him and said, Wake up, man. We gotta get to the fight. Wake up, man. But Paul did not move. Sean saw Herman trying to wake Paul, repeating his name over and over again, desperate for Paul to go with him to the fight. Sean said to him, Come on, man. I'll go with you. Let's go. He turned Herman away from Paul. As they walked down the hallway, Herman continued to look backwards to see if Paul was going to come. They went out to the yard. The metal doors slammed against the concrete. There were more guys standing around the asphalt than the last time. They saw Herman, the smallest amongst them. They saw him looking at the ground, and then saw him looking upwards at the empty blue sky. Herman let his eyes blur over. He tried to think of nothing, but the fear of the crowd weighed on him. Herman looked upward, trying to find a jet stream, but there was nothing there. Sean saw that Herman was lost somewhere in the empty sky. He put his elbow on Herman's shoulder and said, You see that part of the wall there? Herman looked and nodded. Sean said, That's where we can climb over. There's a chunk in the concrete where it's busted. So you get through this fight, you remember that busted piece. That's where we're going, alright? Herman nodded, but he was wary, and in that moment, he saw the capacity for them to fail. He understood what Sean meant when he said the plan wasn't ready. But he also understood what Sean was trying to do for him in that moment. Sean said, It's not perfect, but it's the best we've got. So, it is what it is. The ref came up to them and said, Where's Paul? Sean stood in front of Herman and said, He can't make it. We still going for the match? The ref said, Sean looked at Herman, and Herman nodded. Yeah, said Sean. The ref looked wary at Herman and said, Fine, let's go then. They followed the ref, slow-moving as he was, and Herman saw a shadow emerge and pass. He looked upward and saw no clouds. Instead, he saw that the shadow was his opponent, the whale, a guy who had been locked up for longer than any other kid, a guy whose size eclipsed the others. He cracked his knuckles and looked down at Herman, the pipsqueak. Sean watched as Herman looked back at the doors, hoping Paul would appear. Herman, Sean said. You can take this guy, alright? I'll get tired fast. You've just got to survive a few hits from him, and you're going to have to tire him out. Don't even try to hit him. Wait until he's tired and then choke him out, like Paul showed you. Herman took off his t-shirt and tossed it onto the ground. 
You good man? Sean said. Yeah. You good man? Sean said again. Herman nodded. He hopped up and down. He alternated his fists. He looked upward again, now seeing two chemical streams arcing across the sky. The ref stood between them, reaching his hands outwards. And then he screamed for the fight to begin. Herman jumped and looked at his opponent. The whale was a juggernaut. Herman continued to hop, closing the distance between himself and the sky and burying his feet into the pavement, circling the whale. He saw an opening to strike, but withheld his fist and instead the whale took the opening and smoked Herman in the chest. It was as if the whale had swung his tail like a wrecking ball. Herman face-planted against the concrete like a tiny minnow. The whale took a few slow steps before uppercutting Herman in the gut and sending him rattling into the wall. Herman felt blood on his face again. The whale went for the next swing and Herman couldn't dodge it. He lay on the concrete. He saw Sean was there. He peeled himself off the pavement. Herman stood dizzy, his fists up, waiting for the whale to come at him again. The whale circled him and gave Herman a fake jab and still Herman couldn't dodge it. His swings were too broad. Herman looked at the whale and recognized the expression in his eyes. It was absent and hollow, like how the salts made him. Like how they made Paul. The whale went to jab Herman. Herman leaned in and headbutt him. The whale smiled. Herman was blinded by a newfound rage and no longer saw the whale's size. He hit him again and again, trying to break the teeth from his skull. Herman thought that perhaps he did have a choice. He had the choice to kick this guy's ass. The whale swung again. Herman took the punch and hit him back twice in the gut and then across the face. He bashed the whale's belly over and over again and tackled him to the pavement. Herman then grappled the whale and locked his neck between his legs like Paul had showed him. The whale tried to escape from Herman's grip, but Herman used all of the rage he had known and would not release him. The whale's eyes reversed towards the mush of his brain and then... The bastard tapped out. Herman let go. He looked up and saw the jet streams and faded off. There was a moment of stillness before the ref returned and lifted Herman's fist into the air. The ref screamed and announced that Herman was the undisputed champ. The crowd erupted into an enormous reaction and Herman felt a surge that connected him to himself. Sean quickly guided him back inside and led him back to the room. Herman was exhilarated. He went to Paul and he said, We won, man. We did it. He tapped out. I did it. Just like you showed me. We did it, Paul. We did it. But his friend still lay motionless in the bed. Herman said to Paul again, Man, we won. We won. Still, Paul didn't respond. Herman shook him. Man, Herman said. He felt Paul's body was cold. He shook him again. Sean watched Herman as he tried to rattle Paul awake. He saw in that moment what Herman couldn't. He saw that Paul was gone. Herman repeated Paul's name again and again. He desperately tried to wake him. Sean went to Herman tried to take him away from Paul's body, but Herman could not hear what he said. Sean stood there, 
next to Herman and did not leave his side. Herman raged into a fit. He stood in a fury and desperately tried to wake his friend. But Paul did not respond, no matter how hard he tried. And eventually, Herman understood that Paul was dead. They sat on the ground beside Paul's bed for hours. Eventually, Sean got up and went back to his chest set. Herman still sat on the ground looking between Paul and the window. When the first light came, Herman saw that Sean still had not packed up his chest pieces. He sat glaring at some problem. Are we gonna go, man? said Herman. Sean didn't look up. Man, we gotta go, right? Come on, Herman said. Sean still did not say anything or acknowledge Herman. Herman looked through the door into the hallway. He saw the guard from a sliver in the window. He watched as he walked around the corner and went out of sight. He looked back at Sean, who still looked at the board. He understood that Sean was not going to come. Herman put on his sweater and looked back across the room. There was nothing else to take with him. Sean saw that Herman wanted to say something to him, did not have the words. You were a good friend to him, Sean said. You were too, said Herman. Sean nodded towards the door. Herman nodded to him. Herman opened the door and went past the hallway. He climbed up the fire extinguisher and got up to the air vent, slipping, seeing that he could narrowly fit. He hit the grate repeatedly until he was able to enter the vent. He crawled through like a dust rat, following what was in front of him. He had no sense of which direction to follow. As he moved through the vent, it became difficult to breathe through the dust. He came to a massive fan that took the air from his lungs and shortened his breath to nothing. His heart beat through his ribs and it felt as though the vent was tightening onto him. He did not have a way out. The pathway was too narrow for him to turn himself around. Still, he tried, but his leg got stuck on some edge. He twisted onto his back, trying to free himself, but it could not get free. He kicked the top of the vent repeatedly until the metal broke. He fell and plummeted through the ceiling. He lay on his back. A fluorescent bulb dangled from a wire above him. He saw that he was lying on top of the bookshelf. He coughed and rolled off of it and fell onto the ground. Some books raining down onto him. His body was covered in dust. He saw that his leg was cut and that it bled through his sweatpants. He took the shelf that had come off of the hinge. He limped towards the window and used the shelf to tear through the wire until there was enough space for him to get through the grate. He smashed open the glass and felt the air from the yard. He went towards it but stopped before he climbed out. He looked back at the mound of books that had fallen off the bookshelf. He rushed back and scavenged through the titles, rummaging through every pile until he found his book. He took it and limped back to the window, and then he heard the door open. The librarian stood, holding his coffee mug. He saw Herman, bloody and covered in dust. Herman froze, and the librarian saw his desperation. He saw the busted air vent, the mess of books, and the broken window. 
The librarian tried to be calm and said to Herman, What's going on? Herman did not respond. The librarian saw that Herman held the book that he told him he would read. Herman squeezed his fist and looked towards the yard, towards the foothold Sean had showed him. But he could not see it from where he was. Where will you go? The librarian asked him. The question overwhelmed Herman. He did not know. Herman became more scared then. More scared than facing the bull terrier. More scared than facing the hot dog kid. More scared than facing the whale. I'll ask you to leave that book behind. The librarian looked at the window, the broken glass, and the torn wiring. If you stay, Herman, they don't have to know you did this. But if you try to leave, I'm going to have to stop you. Herman felt the blood on his leg, and with that, he dropped the book and ran towards the window. The librarian grabbed him. Herman tried to squirm and fight from his grip, but even the whale's strength was nothing compared to the librarian's grip. He pinned Herman down to the carpet. Are you going to run? The librarian asked him. Herman breathed heavily, looking through the barbed wire, towards the yard and the part of the wall that Sean had showed him to climb. He tried to see where it led. I'll let you go, but you need to tell me you aren't going to run. Herman could not squirm out of the librarian's grip. He screamed for dear life and tried with everything he had to escape, but even his blind rage was not enough. The librarian dragged Herman across the ground so that he could reach the phone. He lifted it and held it between his shoulder and ear, and he called who he had to. Herman's face pushed against the carpet. He saw only an endless mound of books. Part 3 Some kind of metal toilet protruded from the wall. He was surrounded by yellow tile. The yolk of every egghead before him. They had all bashed their skulls open. He stared up at the orbing light above. His eyes became tiny black dots. Imagine the bed springs above him, like oven coils heating, bleeding out, combusting, and exploding. He imagined the entire earth burning to a crisp. He lay his cheek onto the strange tile. He looked for an ant or a speck of dust. A strange glimpse of himself reflected back. His skull resembled a worn tire. He felt he was becoming a mere floor tile. He felt he was becoming snot. He was dragged down a hallway he had never been to before. He was thrown into a shower, the water pierced against his skin. He saw some guy's feet under the partition next to him. The people around him spoke in a language he didn't understand. He was taken out of the yellow room, past rows of guys in barred cells, until he was thrown into one of his own. He hid behind the bed that was there. He didn't know how many days had passed. He stared downward and felt his sock against the concrete wall. To occupy his mind, he bent his toe slowly. Every so often, he saw the guard's boot going along the hallway. He heard the ring of keys on the guard's belt. When the guard passed, he looked past the bars and saw the bleak horizon. There was a metal door at the end of the hall. He stood outside and saw how, the, how his breath showed in the cold. He watched the basketball players run back and forth across the court. He recognized some of them from the shower area. 
He recognized their language as the one he didn't understand. He looked at the dirt and the grass. The wall was much higher here than it was before. Barbed wire wrapped around it constantly, like the keyring on the guard's belt. He saw a squirrel caught between it all. He stared at the exhaust coming from a giant vent on the side of the building. After a while, the steam broke and settled. And then, for seemingly no reason at all, it started again. He scrubbed between the grout near the laundry unit. The drum of the machine clanked along in some inefficient rhythm. He dumped soap onto the ground and scrubbed for hours. He was taught to use a massive iron press. He pressed every shirt and set of pants after they came out from the dryer. Time moved invariably, each day passing into one another. He looked towards the window at the yard. He saw the air become more idiotic with each passing day. Outside, he studied the vent and the steam. He remembered how he had seen it before as a thin, distant wisp. He saw that some guy was trying to get his attention, but he ignored him. Instead, he focused on the steam and watched how it went upwards and wrapped around the building and came up around the back of the wall. The guy was a pest and wouldn't stop trying to get Herman to speak to him. He continued to say, man, hey man, man, hey man, man. Herman didn't want to speak to him. He felt he was going to lose it and kick his ass. Yo, man, yo, yo. Finally, Herman looked at him. He was small like Herman, but his face looked much older. Yo, come here, man. Herman didn't say anything. Yo, I gotta ask you something. Come here, man. Herman stared at him. He saw the guy was a complete bastard. Yo, just come here, man. Still, Herman didn't. The pest walked up to Herman and said again, Yo, man. Herman saw that he had something concealed in his hand. In that moment, the guy took out some kind of blade and tried to jab it towards Herman. But Herman caught his hand and grappled him down. Herman took the pest's arm and tried to break it, but he didn't have the strength. Instead, he wrapped his elbow around the guy's neck and began to choke him out. Herman saw there were more guys coming towards him. They moved close together and one of them said, Alright man, chill man. Herman did not respond and he did not ease up on the pest. He saw the blade on the ground. Easy kid, one of the guys smiled. As the guys got closer, Herman moved back from them, tripping over his heels and kicking the blade out of reach. He saw they were coming to surround him. He still backed up. One of the guys lunged forward and tried to grab him. Herman swung at the guy and clocked his jawbone. He swung again and sent the guy down. Another guy went for him. Herman dodged him, got him into a headlock, and then swung his fist into the guy's forehead. Another guy came in. Herman tossed the guy he had in a headlock and tackled the other into the pavement. He got in as many hits as he could, but soon he was surrounded by fists and sneakers. They ceaselessly rained onto him. He no longer tried to fight back and only huddled on the ground like a turtle. Only then did they stop kicking his ass. The pest said, Carl Holtzman sensed his regard, and then he spit on Herman and they all took off. Herman limped back to the doorway. He leaned against the wall and used it to guide himself back to his cell. He woke up on the cement mattress. His eyes narrowly opened. His bones were bruised and he thought only of the steam that came from the back of the building. He tried to find an angle that he could see it from the laundry room window. He squinted and tried to look past the clouds that blocked his view. He scrubbed the soap suds. 
He slipped, and the sponge splashed into the bucket. The soap stung into his swollen eye. He listened to the machine drum cycle. He pressed the iron into the cotton, suffocating each fiber like the legs of an insect. It went on like this for days. As his body began to heal, he returned to the routine that Paul had taught him. Each push-up moved the clock forward. The sun fell into the dirt like a cat toy. The light clawed out and played dead. He climbed into the machine drum. He tried to find a way to break it open. Maybe he could tear it from the wall and somehow pass behind it. But his strength was not enough. He could not find a way out. Outside, he stared at the vent, the mass of steam pouring upward to the sky. Each cloud, some remarkably stupid shape, fading off into a null and gray death. Herman looked upwards. His eyes were no longer as swollen as they were. There was a long gap between the top of the building and the vent. Perhaps with a running leap, he could make it across to the top of the wall where the coiled barbed wire was. He clenched his fist and thought about that escape. He watched the exhaust as it poured upward from the vent and thought that it would suffocate any living animal. His concentration was broken when he saw that group of guys again. He recognized most of them, including the pest, but there was someone else with him. He was very tall and wore a long jacket. His mouth and chin were narrow like a squid's beak. He was older than Herman by many years and walked very slowly. His hands were tucked away. He came up to Herman and offered him a handshake. You got a decent fight in you. Anyone ever tell you that? The guy said. Herman looked at his hand and he looked at the pack of guys behind him. What's your name, kid? He said to Herman. Still, Herman did not accept his handshake. He saw that the man became angry. He turned his back to Herman and walked back to where the others were. Then they all rushed to Herman again. Herman shook out his shoulders and rolled out his neck. He hopped upwards and got his fists ready. When he woke again, his face was more swollen. It looked moth-gutted. He was unable to move his leg ordinarily. He limped along the cages, narrowly being swiped by the guard's baton. In the lunch line, he stared at the potatoes through the glass and saw the daytime moon, a reflection in the window. There was a fan in the hallway. It clicked perpetually and was unable to rotate back. He looked upward at speckled concrete. The dreary stalactite inched towards him. He saw dust form onto a pebble. He ceaselessly considered a small green bug that had fallen onto his shirt. He looked upward at the tree. Toward the steam that escaped from the building, he watched how it immersed itself into the sky. He saw that the sun was a vacant imbecile. He saw the immense cycle of the machine drum in the laundry room. The overflown bubbles drowned the dust that had formed between a shoelace that was tangled in a sud. He stood near the wall outside and watched a basketball flying in the distance, until there again was the tall guy with the squid beak. Let's take a walk, he said to Herman. Herman agreed and the others didn't follow, aside from one. Don't worry about him, Herman, the squid beak said. He introduced himself. Carl, he said, and offered his handshake again. Herman took it this time. I heard you won a few rounds in Mule Castle, Carl said. Kid like you took out the whale, hey? Herman nodded. Well, I need your help with something, Carl said. Those guys, he nodded at the basketball players, I have a message to deliver to them. If you do that, it'll go a long way for you here. It's crowded where you live and I'd hate to see you more than, than you have to. 
Herman didn't entirely understand what Carl meant. He was more focused on the guy who followed behind them. If he needed to get his ass kicked again, then so be it. They watched the basketball game. Carl said, If you were someone else, kid, I'd end you, right here and now. But I'll be honest with you. There's something about you. I can see myself in you, if I was tougher. If I could stand up on my own. But I can't. Because Herman, I care what people think. I care about controlling them. I gotta be ahead of them, or they win. That's what's in it for me. I wanna be on the top. I'm the boss, no matter what. That's what I care about. But you? I can see you don't care about any of that, do you? You don't need anyone except yourself, isn't that right? Herman looked at him and was annoyed by what he said. Carl smiled. Herman saw the others watching them. Hey, said Carl. It's only you and me talking. They're just a bunch of boneheads. In the real world, I can introduce you to some guys that can really make things happen. Herman didn't know where to look. What? You're feeling bad for those guys? Come on, man. Worrying about them? That's going to bring you down. You'll lose yourself. You know that, don't you? Herman was confused. He had some sense that Carl was trying to read his thoughts. You don't do what I ask. Well, you know what? It's like I said. If you were someone else, I'd have snapped your neck already. But you've got a way about you. I know you aren't scared of them. And maybe you aren't scared of me. So what is it, man? What do you want? Herman looked away from him. Girls, you name it. Drugs? Cars? He saw how Herman reacted. Ha, huh. cars, eh? Herman shrugged and Carl laughed. Cars. The boy likes cars, does he? You know, my uncle's got an auto shop about 20 miles from here. That's where I'm from. Cars, eh? You're a good kid, aren't you, man? Herman looked at him. Tell you what. You go in there one day. Tell them I scooped you out of Delta Square. They'll take care of you. Herman nodded. You work there? Did I work there? Carl laughed again. Herman, buddy, I grew up there. That's my uncle's shop. I know that place better than I, than I know my own ass. Herman nodded. So I bet you're wondering then, said Carl. How well does this guy know his own ass? Carl laughed. He put his arm around Herman and said, Appreciate having you on our side, brother. I'm sure we'll do great things together. They stood there and watched the basketball players and Herman looked at Carl. He saw his eyes were dead and he wasn't watching the players at all. He was staring off into oblivion. Be ready tomorrow morning, Carl said. You'll have backup, and don't forget your toothbrush. That night, Herman dreamt of a horse trapped inside the laundry machine drum. The horse kicked the drum and made a horrendous racket. The fans screamed and he saw the horse was silent. Herman snuck towards the horse and took it from the machine and dragged it up an unknown stairwell. He went past the basketball court and tried to throw the horse over the wall. He was unable to and he saw that the horse had died. Perhaps the stairwell was of no juncture. Still he looked above towards the stalactite where the bed springs once were, and the roof of the building, a higher ledge by way of a small ladder that was built into the concrete towards where the vent led. If he didn't make the jump, he would plummet and his death would be certain. But if he made it, he could get to the next ledge and from there he could make it to the top of the wall. The vent jutted out just enough that he could take a running start past the guard tower. Even if he made the jump, they could shoot him in the head and he would never even know if he made it or not. But if he made the jump, he would be on top of the wall, tangled in the barbed wire. He knew it would be brutal, but he'd come back from worse before. 
At some point, he realized he was not dreaming and was only thinking about the wall. In the morning, he walked towards the showers with the others. He held his small toothbrush in a bag. He tried to breathe slowly, watching his stomach move outwards. The fan still made that clanking sound. He looked at his reflection in the mirror. He heard the basketball players behind him. They stood in the shower, laughing under the water and patting one another on the back. Even though he didn't understand what they said, he could see that they were friends. He held his toothbrush and he thought of those he had left behind. He thought of a mound of dirt he'd once torn from the ground with his friend Edmund and the worms and potato beetles that, he, that they saw underneath. He thought of the grass and the roots they'd destroyed. They tossed that chunk of dirt into the air and it split into the ground. They looked at the glob of toothpaste that he squeezed out of the tube. He thought of Paul laughing his way to the bank and he thought of Paul laughing while dead on his mattress and in his grave. In a way, he thought that Paul wouldn't even care that he was dead. He thought of Sean still sitting and staring at his chess pieces. Two of Carl's boneheads approached. One of them tapped Herman on the shoulder and told him that it was time. The boneheads went into the water. One of them grappled one of the basketball players while the other tried to repeatedly stab him with a dull toothbrush blade. The basketball player was getting choked out. Herman watched his legs flail and slip on the tiles. The other basketball players came towards them and backed him up. They started kicking the boneheads' asses. The first basketball player who got choked out got up and destroyed them. Herman watched them scramble, but still, he stood by the sink. He saw how the guys backed each other up, and that meant something to him. Two guards rushed into the bathroom, passing Herman. He watched as the guards ripped the fight apart, but it only escalated the fight. One of the basketball players choked out the guard to protect one of his buddies. They kicked his baton away from them. Herman spit his toothpaste. He went and took the baton off the ground. He felt its weight in his hand. He took it and swung it across the guard's face. Herman tried to yank the keyring from the guard's belt, but it was attached to him by a long wire. The guard tried to retaliate, but Herman hit him again. When the guard hit the ground, Herman unclipped a piece of wire from his belt. He took the keyring and ran out of there. He ran down the hallway, opening the horizon door. The key was fickle. His hands shook viciously as if he was reciting some kamikaze death prayer. He snapped open the lock and didn't dare to look back. He ran up the stairwell faster than ever before. His legs moved unbelievably fast. He tripped and hit the ground hard. Still, he got up and paid no mind and ran again. He went past the hall and stopped at the next doorway. He peeked through the glass and saw that the next corridor was empty. An alarm sounded. A white light flashed in incoherent intervals. Herman ran. His sneakers squeaked up the stairs, upwards, passing every floor. The alarm pierced into his mind and the white light flashed from every level. The walls were now a different color. Some type of banal accent that reflected with the shrieking alarm. The keyring snapped open the next lock. Herman ran through the doorway. It led to a thin corridor. The echo was unusually loud. He crept down the way, further down the hall, and arrived at the exit that led to the roof. He kicked it open. The air and the concrete. The sun looked like a faded orb. There he stood, looking downward. His stomach turned. He felt paralyzed. He was higher up than he'd ever been in his life. He could see all the way back to the yard where he stood with Sean and Paul. He saw that the building was being evacuated. Every single guy was put into a scattered line. They were on their knees with their hands above their heads. 
There was a massive space between him and the wall. It reminded him of the endless distance that he felt between him and himself when he took the dandruff salts. Now, it was right there in front of him. He had thought it was endless then, but now he saw there it had a limit. He moved towards it. The steam moved upward from the vent and made the air thick and impossible to breathe. The intervals spewed recklessly. He imagined the machine drum spinning out of control. The runway was pathetic. It was much smaller than what he had assumed from below. He knelt down and felt the heat burn his hands. He recalled the school, the gravel inside of his palm, getting his ass kicked, his spine hitting against the fountain spout, Miss Erie, the food tray in the cafeteria, the hollow look on the guard's face when he stabbed him through the ribs. The last time he tried to escape this way, he had failed profusely. He thought of the bed springs. The shape they had formed was still burned into his mind, and his friends, of course, laughing their asses off. He thought of himself with them, the sardines and the chemtrails and the oatmeal. He thought of going back for that book, how he'd almost died for it. The fights he had won and the fights he had lost. The bull terrier, the hot dog kid, and the whale. And now, he had no choice. This was all he had. He ran, crossing the vent, his sneakers clanking along the metal. He ran as fast as he ever had towards one great leap. He floated across like an injured bird, falling downward and slamming onto the next vent and grabbing hold of it. His hand slipped farther. The metal was hot and skid along his arm. He grabbed the grate and held on. The steam now forced impossibly against him. His hand slipped, used all of his strength, like one diagonal pawn and pulled himself upward. He climbed up and got to the top of the vent. He looked down towards the wall. The drop below still lured his fate. The barbed wire coiled indefinitely. He stood on the vent. He hopped up and down, getting ready to make the jump. He went to the edge of it and paced back and forth. He tried to understand how much room he had on the runway. The fear of the gap tightened his ribcage like a soaked cloth, wringing out and electrocuting his blood. He hopped up and down, his fist clenched in each hand. The drop below would kill him. He heard a loud banging coming from the roof. The guards bottlenecked from the doorway. They searched frantically for him, the missing prisoner. He had no choice left. His back was against the vent. He was at the end of the runway. He broke off and bolted. He leapt through the air with all that he had, and he thought of nothing. There he was, the kid jumping off the vent towards the wall, falling towards its edge. He landed brutally, entangled in the wire like that squirrel that he saw. He grabbed hold of the wire and tried to break the landing. His hands, his chest, and his head were all slashed. He was still. His back was on top of the wall. He lay silently. He looked upward in the wire's entanglement. He unlatched himself as best he could. The key ring fell from his pocket and dropped below. He watched it fade off down to the pavement. Finally, he turned to see what was beyond the wall. He saw downward below him to the other side. There was a long, entangled mess of bushes that followed along an endless highway road. He freed himself from the wire and dropped off, falling away from the prison. He lay still in the bushes and was unable to see the sky. He crawled outward. A massive semi-truck flew across, scaring him to all hell. He watched the cars zoom past the road, weaving and blurring at some gasoline twirl. There was a sudden break in the traffic. He ran into the road. Another truck tore out from seemingly nowhere and came close to knocking his lights out, once and for all. He kept running across the highway and was almost hit by another truck. 
It blasted its horn as it whirred past. He tumbled into the grass on the other side of the road. He pulled himself up and finally looked back at the building, the wall and the barbed wire. He stared at it for some time, until a smile overtook his face and he jumped upward and screamed, I did it, man. I did it. He fell to his knees and lifted both his hands into the air. He ran away from the highway into the grass. It went out as far as he could see. It only seemed to get taller in the horizon. He disappeared farther into it. His body was thrashed by the barbed wire and sore from the fall. He looked back over and over again, walking for some hours, far enough that the building was out of sight. The grass had become so dense that he could hardly see the dirt he walked on. The sky was darkening. He tried to keep it in a straight line, but there was no point of reference to guide him. He was becoming weaker and his mind would fall into spurts, desperately wanting to collapse in the dirt, to give up and return to the highway. But he knew that even if he decided to go back, he had no idea how to get there. He sat near a tree and looked up at the sky. The stars had become bright. He didn't know what to make of them all. He lay in the dirt and rested his head on his arm. He slept for a while, but was awoken by the cold. He lay quietly for most of the night. He heard some rustling ahead and then saw that two glowing eyes had locked onto his. He lay still as they watched him, his heart beat out of his chest. He reached for a rock to protect himself. As he held it in his fist, he could not tell how weak he was. He lost track of the glowing eyes but did not fall asleep again. The sun returned as slowly as it ever had. He saw there was frost along the tips of the grass. He saw a sleeping dog. Eventually, it stood and stretched, and then it bolted off. When Herman got up, his soreness had worsened. He watched the dog run towards a blur in the horizon, a distant rooftop. He limped and followed the dog. Soon, the grass cleared, and he could see a large farmhouse ahead. The dog sat with its head tilted and looked curiously at Herman. He saw that the dog was not going to hurt him. The dog barked and then playfully ran towards the front door. Herman went to the porch. He peered into the window. He didn't see anyone. He knocked on the door, but there was no answer. He bashed on it with his fist and the dog howled. Still, no answer. So he opened the door and went in. The dog rushed ahead. It ran up and down the stairs, barking and going through every room. Herman went to the sofa. He put a blanket onto his head and tried to become warm. After the dog had finished its rounds, it came and sat near him. The dog closed its eyes and then Herman also closed his eyes. They dozed off for some time. The house slowly warmed with the sun. It was quiet when he woke up. He limped across the room to the kitchen and drank water. The dog followed him. There were eggs and sauces in the fridge. He ate some crackers that he found in the cupboard. He looked at the sun from the window. He found dog food and dumped it into a bowl. The dog ate it all. He went up the staircase. Each stair creaked. The dog followed him. He went into a room that was stacked full of books and papers. Another had a sink and a shower. The last had a bed and a putrid smell. He covered his nose with his shirt. Some old guy was sprawled out on the rug, his pajamas tangled and soiled. Herman walked up to him and said, Hello? But he knew that the guy was dead from the moment he walked in there. Herman looked at the dog and the dog looked back at him. He closed the door and left the dead guy where he was. He went back to the room with the books. He looked through them all carefully. He saw a copy of the same book he was reading back in the library. This copy had a drawing of a whale on it. He took it back down the stairs and sat on the sofa. The pages crackled and the spine of the book was frail. 
He looked at the words until he became tired and slept again. When the sun returned, he went onto the porch and saw a truck parked on the side of the house. He went to it. He sat in the driver's seat and looked out the windshield. He pretended to drive along the grass. He imagined speeding down the highway with the other trucks. He imagined passing the prison and putting his middle finger out of the window. He couldn't believe he'd got the hell out of there. He thought of Carl sitting around wondering what the hell happened to him. He never said he was leaving or anything. He just went and disappeared like an ant through the tile. As he pretended to drive the truck, he thought of Paul laughing his ass off. He knew Paul would have thought that what he'd done was great and unbelievable. He knew that Sean would agree also. He thought of driving his truck back to the old school. He would put his middle finger up to that place also, except maybe to a worm he once saw in the dirt there, and except maybe to Miss Erie. He looked in the glove box and found some old papers. He looked under the seat, and then he found the truck key was in the visor. He jammed it in the ignition, and the truck rumbled like an old beast. He became frightened. He looked at the pedals beneath him. He pushed on one, and nothing happened. The other caused the engine to rev. He messed with everything. Eventually, he cranked the gear and the truck started to move. He couldn't believe it. He tried to go as slow as possible. He jerked the brake and the engine and turned the steering wheel and ended up going in a circle. He took his feet off the pedals and let the truck move on its own until it slowed all the way down. He pulled out the key and hopped out. He'd driven a ways away from the house. The dog ran after him. He woke many times in the night. His body became more sore as it healed. He heard coyotes howling. The dog stayed near him. In the morning, he went into the dead man's bedroom and took the smallest clothes he could find. Finally, he changed out of his bloody prison uniform. He found a button-up shirt and a pair of shorts that fit him like pants. He tightened them up with a belt. He found a baseball hat on the shelf and put it on. He looked in the mirror and thought he looked all right. He went to the shed out back. There were all kinds of tools there. A lot of them were rusted and broken, and for the most part, he had no idea what any of them did. But still, he wanted to mess with them. There were all kinds of shovels and axes. There was a lawnmower and some old cans of gas. He powered up a big flashlight and saw a shelf that was filled with jars. Each one was filled with a different kind of screw or nail. He wanted to take one of them and throw it against the wall so that it would explode. He picked out a good shovel and thought of where he would dig. He walked up a hill behind the house. The dog followed. He used the shovel to pull the dirt from the ground. The dog shuffled its paws and flung the earth towards the sky. Sometimes the dog would bark and then run straight through the field for no reason. They became tired and went back inside. Herman gave the dog another bowl of food. He decided to eat some himself. He didn't spit it out, but it was strange as hell. Herman put the frying pan on the stove and lit it up. He saw a burst of gasoline cloud upward towards him. He jumped back and the dog barked. He cracked in one of the eggs. The yolk made a strange shape in the pan and the goop whitened in the heat. He watched as it crackled and blackened. He turned off the flame and when the pan cooled he ate the egg. There were crunchy bits from the way the egg burned and from the eggshell that got into the pan. Still, Herman felt proud of himself for cooking up that egg. He slept for some time and turned on the flashlight when he woke up in the night. He still limped as he walked and spent most of the next few days digging the hole. In the dirt, there were worms, and they twisted as the sun was revealed to them. The dog did his fair share of digging also. He went back to the kitchen to drink water. The heat made the smell of the dead man spread throughout the house. From the kitchen window, Herman looked at the hole they dug, and he thought it looked big enough. He tied a dish rag across his face to mask the smell, and he went upstairs. 
The stench had become putrid. He looked at the dead man and his long, dead beard. He was the oldest guy Herman had ever seen. It was peaceful, in some way, to see how he hadn't even been killed by anyone. Herman stood there and looked at him for a long time. It seemed like he had died from nothing except from being an old bastard. In a way, Herman thought that would have been the best thing that could have ever happened to the old man. He was just in his house, minding his own business, and then, one day, he fell over dead, and that was that. Nobody even killed him. Herman dragged the old man from the bedroom and into the hall. His body felt like it was made of elastic bands of cookie dough. The dog followed closely as Herman dragged the body down the stairs, its head clunking along as it whacked against every step. Herman pulled him out from the deck into the yard. The dog barked. The old man's body flattened the grass as Herman dragged it along to the shed. Herman brought over a wheelbarrow. It took a lot to lift the man in there. He pushed the wheelbarrow all the way to the grave that they dug. Herman stood there, the dog at his side, and the dead guy in the wheelbarrow. The sun was on its way out. Well, man, any last words? Herman said. The dog barked and howled towards the afternoon moon. Herman nodded and then tipped the wheelbarrow and dumped the body into the grave. They shoveled the dirt back into the ground, back to where it came from. In the morning, he was awoken by a truck driving towards the house. He got up and saw a woman hop out of it. The dog bolted out the door and ran towards her. Herman ran through the back door to the shed. He heard the woman yelling, Dad, the hell are you? He looked through the tools, the saws and the rakes, the jar of nails. There was a small hatchet. He didn't want to use it on her, but he needed something to protect himself. The dog barked and the woman kept yelling and looking for the old man. Herman could hear her coming towards the shed. He held the hatchet and hid behind the doorway and waited. He saw her shadow loom in and then he bolted out of there. He ran past her and bolted as fast as his legs would go. The dog ran with him and she chased after them. He ran through the grass, away from the house and towards the road. She yelled at him to stop and to come back but he didn't listen. He could sense that she was gaining on him and as he looked back his foot slipped and he tripped on some divot in the dirt. He fell into the grass and felt the hatchet stab beneath his ribs. He lay in the grass and did not move. The dog barked and licked his face. It lay next to him. He saw the hatchet was stuck into his stomach and he screamed. The woman caught up to him. She knelt down and saw the hatchet standing upright. She saw how frightened Herman was. When she reached towards him, he tried to get up and run again, but he couldn't. He screamed and tried to stop her from getting near him. His eyes had become feral. Slow down. It's okay. I'm not going to hurt you, she said. He saw the fear in her eyes as she looked at the hatchet again. He tried to pull the hatchet out, but she stopped him. Don't. She grabbed his hand. He tried to escape her grip, but he couldn't. Every breath he took hurt him badly. He looked at the sky and could no longer understand what color it was. It seemed that his vision caved in on itself. He thought of the lunchroom guard. He thought of Paul. He thought of the old man. He looked at her. She saw that his breath had begun to slow. This is going to hurt, she said, but you're going to be okay. She put her hand on his head. This calmed him. His eyes closed and she pulled the hatchet from him. He felt the most pain he had ever known in his life and blood poured from where the hatchet had been. The woman removed her shirt and used it to push down on the wound. She saw how his breath became more shallow. You're going to be okay, she said a few times over. She wanted him to respond. She said, all right. He did not know if his eyes were open or closed. He could only feel the pain of the wound. She tried to calm him. Eventually, he said, 
Don't call the cops. She was relieved to hear him speak, but was curious about what he said. When he finally opened his eyes, he saw the sun breaking off her eyelashes. Soon, his vision faded off. When he came to, he lay on the table, and the woman was gently cleaning the wound. She saw that he was awake, and said, Hi. He looked at her face, and saw that she had a strange hook-like nose and small eyes. He felt like he didn't recognize her. You're gonna be okay, she said to him. He saw the dog was close by. What's your name, she said. He didn't respond. No name, eh? Well, alright, I don't got a name either then. Despite seeing how much pain he was in, she smiled. You're gonna be okay. The bleeding's slowing. If it was any deeper, you'd be in trouble. Any higher up could have stabbed your heart out, but you're gonna be alright. She saw his face was still flush and white. She took some pills from the medicine cabinet and brought them back with a glass of water. Take these. She tried to prop him up to make it easier for him to swallow, but it hurt him too much to move. Alright, alright, relax. She took the pills back. She crushed them into the glass of water and gave it back to him. It hurt him to drink it, but he got most of it down. Eventually, she brought him to the couch. The dog lay on the floor beside him as he slept. She searched the house repeatedly, but could not find her father. She tidied up the kitchen, tossing what was old and preparing what she could with whatever food was there. She peeled some potatoes and took some frozen sausages from the freezer. When Herman woke up, his stomach was extremely sore and it was hard for him to move. She came over with another glass of water and some potatoes and sausages. He thought it was one of the best meals he had ever had. I came looking for my dad, she said. She saw that Herman still wouldn't talk to her. I haven't heard from him in longer than usual, a few days. Again, she waited for his response, but she got nothing. Was he here when you got here? She asked. His truck's still here. Herman shrugged. She smiled at him and put her hand gently onto his forehead. Somehow, it made his eyes fill with tears. He looked away from her and saw that the dog was looking at him. Seems like Elroy's looking out for you, she said. He thought it was strange to know the dog's name. No sign of my dad then, eh? She asked. No, Herman finally said. She smiled again. Okay. It seemed like she believed him. He wasn't going to tell her that they buried him in the yard and parked the truck over his grave and that the worms were eating his brain. He decided then that he would rest for as long as he could, but he knew that he would have to leave as soon as he was strong enough. He slept and dreamt of the lunchroom guard and how it would have felt to have been stabbed. He still remembered the look on the lunchroom guard's face when the pencil broke past his skin. He remembered how the guard gasped and reached towards him. Herman woke up and thought of his dream. He thought that in a way, it would be easy to die. The woman changed the bandage on Herman's wound. She asked him where he came from. She asked who his family was and where he was going. He didn't have a good answer for any of it, so he stayed quiet. Were you reading that book? She asked him. He nodded. Did you like it? He shrugged. My dad liked that book quite a bit. He tried to get me to read it when I was a kid, but I thought it was too long. She saw him smile at that. She returned the look. I never finished it yet, said Herman. Well, I'm sure he would have been happy you were reading it. Herman didn't know what to say to that. Later, she helped him outside. He sat on the deck with the dog and looked at the sun while she made them some food to eat. She brought it out to the porch. They didn't say much while they ate, and afterward, she let the dog lick the plates. You want to go into town? She asked. She saw how that scared him. He said, I guess so. You stick by me, we'll be all right. Elroy can come too. 
The dog looked excited to hear that. You're a quiet one, aren't you? She asked. No, Herman said. That made her smile. He put on the hat he found. They got into her truck and drove into town. It was the smallest town Herman had ever seen in his life. They went into the supermarket and looked at everything on the shelves. They got granola bars and crackers and a box of ice cream bars and more meat. He watched her take her wallet and hand all the money to the cashier. They went to the river and ate the ice cream bars. He saw frogs jumping off the rocks and going into the water. He smiled when the water splashed upward. Good frogs, eh? She said. Yeah, he nodded. One of the frogs jumped near him. It had big eyes and reminded him of the librarian. The dog came over and the frog became scared and jumped into the water again. Herman laughed and he looked at the woman. She was smiling also. When they arrived back at the house, the woman gave Herman more of the pills. He lay on the sofa and she sat with him. She placed her hand on his forehead and eventually he fell asleep. He was slow to move in the morning. The woman and the dog weren't there. He got up and went to the freezer and took another ice cream bar. He opened the wrapper and took a massive bite. He looked out the window and saw a car slowly driving along the road. He saw the woman standing on the porch, the dog by her side. The car turned off the road and drove towards the house. The woman waved as it approached. The person who got out of the car looked like some kind of narc to him. It was time to go. He stumbled out the back door, went through the gate, and ran past the shed. The hatchet injury was still sore. It slowed him down, but still he moved as fast as he could, until eventually he disappeared into the tall grass. The trees overshadowed one another, and he could no longer see the sky. He looked at the ground, at the pine cones and the dirt and the rocks. He saw a beetle on his ankle, and he flicked it off. His stomach bled onto his shirt. He thought of the old man in his grave, and imagined the worms crawling from his nose and his mouth and his eyes. He imagined himself being eaten alive by coyotes. He imagined them eating him down to the bone. He thought of the dandruff salts. He thought of the pencils stabbing through the lunchroom guard. He went farther into the woods and looked around the dirt. He took the strongest stick that he could find. Maybe it would give him a fighting chance to defend himself against whatever was coming to hunt him. He sat beneath the tree and sharpened the stick with a rock. He thought of returning to the school and using the classroom pencil sharpener on it. Then he could stab through anything that came after him. He held the stick like a spear and tested its sharpness against his hand. He imagined a bear coming towards him and he pushed the spear outwards and thought of piercing through the bear's gut. He imagined swinging the spear across a coyote's jaw and jamming it through its skull and its brain. He imagined the narc that the woman sold him out to and no longer felt as frightened. He walked more slowly, sitting to rest as he needed. He followed the rushing water ahead. He sat at the base of the river and felt the stream in his hand. He knelt down and drank and saw minnows swimming. He spent a long time there. Eventually, he caught one of the minnows in his hand and ate it like a sardine. He waited to see if any more fish would come. He wanted to hunt one with his spear. Every few minutes, he saw a splash jump from the water ahead. He waded through the water, but the fish were too fast. He left the stream and continued through the woods, hoping to find a small critter to eat, but there were none. The light was running out and it became dark again. He walked as long as he could, trying to follow the moon. Eventually, he sat beneath the tree and became frightened and cold. He hoped to see a plane pass, but none did. He looked at the stars and thought they were closer to him now than ever before. Somehow, through it all, 
he still pictured the bed springs from his old room. Each time he nodded off to sleep, he would jolt awake and feel his heart beating out of his chest. His mind raced too quickly to grab a hold of any single thought. He woke up and realized he had let go of his spear. He desperately searched through the dirt until he found it. He did not go to sleep again after that. When the sun returned, he began to walk again. The hatchet injury felt more sore in the morning sun. He walked slowly and eventually saw an opening in the trees. There was a long field that went on towards some scattered and destroyed hay barrels. There were cattle staring aimlessly at the road ahead. One of the cattle turned and looked at him. He looked at the tip of the spear and imagined stabbing it through the cow's neck. But even if he killed it, he didn't know how he would cook it and eat it. He thought of all the hamburgers he ate in his life and had no idea how they got to be like that. He went up to the cattle and looked at its eyes. Eventually, he went to the road. Whenever a car passed, he would duck behind one of the hay barrels. He walked along until he saw a water tower on the outskirts of another town. He wanted to climb it and drink whatever was in there, but he didn't see a way up. Before he entered the town, he broke off the sharp end of the spear and concealed it by his side like a dagger. He stood on the sidewalk. There was a payphone and a gas station. There was a row of small shops and an open sky. Eventually, he found a supermarket. Annoying music played on the radio. He didn't look at the shopkeeper or any of the other customers. He looked at all the fruits and the meat, and he had never been so hungry in his entire life. He looked around every aisle until he found a box of crackers that he recognized. He hid them under his shirt and left without looking up from the ground. He went into the alleyway and hid near the wall. He knelt down and ripped open the cracker box. He scarfed down as many as he could fit into his mouth. He kept the dagger close in case anyone came near him. No cars passed by, and even if they had, he didn't think anyone would care about him. He felt his breath begin to slow and calm. He felt tired. He closed his eyes and slept for a small amount of time. He dreamt of the dead old man under the truck. He had probably become a skeleton by now. Even the worms that ate him had probably now died and been eaten by other worms. He imagined the old man's skeleton coming out of the dirt and screaming. He liked that old man, even though he only knew him when he was dead. He didn't know if they would move the truck and find him buried in the dirt there. Perhaps he would have no tombstone. For all that woman knew, her old man had turned to dust and was blown out the window. Or maybe she would think that the coyotes had ate him in the night. He thought of a massive demon snake coming from the ground and eating her hand. He imagined the snake vomiting up all of the hands that it had eaten in its life and the pile of skeleton hands going all the way up to the clouds and breaking them apart. He thought of a plane crashing through the great mound of hands. He woke up in a panic again, but soon realized he was okay. He walked farther down the alleyway, behind the shops, and passed through a large parking lot. He came to a long wire fence. Behind it, there were old trucks and busted up cars. A lot of them looked like they had been stripped down for parts. Some of them were rusted scraps, totaled beyond repair. He hid behind a metal garbage can and looked past the fence. He saw some guy dressed in a blue mechanic uniform. The man held a wrench and was trying to knock a bolt off the side of a truck. Herman saw then it was a damn auto shop, no different than the one he'd imagined all that time ago back at the school staring out the window towards the road. He watched the mechanic hitting the bolt over and over again. The sound echoed off the concrete. It wouldn't come off so the mechanic tossed the wrench into a toolbox. 
The mechanic went and got a giant wrench, and then he took one swing and knocked the bolt straight to hell. Another guy reversed a truck behind him. He got it set up, and they all looked at how the wheel was bent. One of the guys hit a switch, and the truck lifted all the way up so they could see underneath it. He saw another guy taking the doors off of the car. One of the hinges wouldn't come off, so he booted it hard enough that it snapped off and hit the ground. He picked up the car door and tossed it onto a pile of scrap metal. There were all kinds of tools scattered all over the place. More tools than Herman ever saw in his life. He looked at every machine along the wall. He saw long pits in the ground where some of the cars drove into. He saw sparks blasting upward and arcing across the shop. The radio was blasting. He heard the drums beating through the fuzz and the static that surrounded the song. He looked at the neon yellow extension cord that the radio was plugged into. He stayed hidden behind the metal trash can and watched the guys through the fence for the entire day. He dozed off listening to the radio and the sounds of the rusted, clanking scraps. When the day ended, the mechanics put away their tools. They shut off the radio and tied up all their cables. They wrapped massive chains around the doors and locked them to the outside of the garage. And then, one by one, they took off. Herman waited until they were all long gone. He walked along the fence and tried to find a way in. The top of the fence was wrapped in barbed wire, and he didn't want to get mangled in it. Instead, he used his dagger to bust up the dirt. He kicked at it and scuffed around, digging out chunks, until eventually he got to the bottom of the fence. He yanked it from the ground and was able to tear out enough to fit through. He walked around the yard, looking closely at all the vehicles. He tossed one of the busted doors the same way he saw the mechanic had. He messed with all the scraps that were left out there and pretended that he was a mechanic. He climbed into one of the trucks. He sat in the driver's seat and imagined he was driving it down the road. He went into the back seat and laid down. He held the dagger across his chest and he slept through the night. He was awoken by the chains unraveling off the garage doors. He saw the door crank open. One of the mechanics stood there drinking a cup of coffee and blocking the morning sun from his eyes. Another guy was dragging an extension cord across the dirt. Herman watched him plug it into the shop radio and fiddle with it until it powered up. Herman saw that the mechanic with the coffee was looking at him. He scrambled, slid open the back window of the truck and climbed out. He jumped off the back of the truck and tumbled in the dirt. He ran towards the fence, but the mechanic stood in his way. Howdy, said the mechanic. Herman swung the dagger and tried to stab him, but it snapped in half. Easy, kid. Herman took deep breaths and tried to dart off, but the mechanic grabbed him. Not gonna hurt you. Take it easy. The mechanic let go. Herman fell backwards. The mechanic saw how weak and exhausted Herman was. Still, Herman tried to get up again. He tried to get past the mechanic, but he couldn't. Finally, the mechanic put his hand on Herman's shoulder, and it defeated him. All he could do was stand there and stare up at the mechanic. The mechanic saw Herman's eyes well up. He could see the kid had been through hell. He took his hand off Herman's shoulder and took a sip of his coffee. The hell are you doing sneaking around here? Herman shrugged. I asked you a question. Herman looked at him and finally said, Do you know Carl? Carl? Herman nodded. What about him? The mechanic asked. He looked angry. He told me he knew this place better than his own ass. The mechanic smiled and said, You one of Carl's buddies? He turned to the others and yelled, This kid knows Carl. 
They all nodded and looked happy to hear that. All right, follow me, the mechanic said. Herman nodded and followed him into the garage. You from the city? The mechanic asked him. Herman was unsure what to say. He nodded. Speak up. I am, Herman said. Your folks there? I don't got none. No folks, eh? Herman shrugged. All right, take a seat, kid. Herman did so. The mechanic gave him a donut and poured him a cup of coffee. Herman gnawed off a huge chunk of the donut and sipped the coffee. It brought a smile to his face. What's your deal then, kid? Carl said I could get a job here. A job, eh? Herman nodded. Speak up then, the mechanic said to Herman. I want to fix up busted cars and work in an auto shop like this one. The mechanic smiled and said, All right. What kind of jobs you done before? Fighting and cleaning up the laundry. Where at? At the prison, Herman said. The mechanic stopped what he was doing. He nodded and said, Huh. Herman had a stoic look on his face. The mechanic said, Few of us have been in and out of there. Herman nodded. It is what it is, eh? Yeah, said Herman. Suppose we'll get you a shirt then. As they walked across to the other end of the shop, a beat-up tow truck pulled into the garage. It dragged a police car that was near totaled. The windshield was smashed and the hood was crushed. Follow me, the mechanic said to Herman. They walked towards the tow truck. A disoriented cop stumbled out of the passenger seat. Morning, Sam, the mechanic said to the tow truck driver. How goes, the tow truck driver said. Bit of a wreck here, eh? The mechanic said. The tow truck driver nodded. You good? The mechanic said to the cop. The cop slurred his words and was unable to keep his balance. Skid around the bend off the 410, he said. Hey kid, why don't you go on and help the officer out with a coffee and something to eat? Herman nodded. He went up to the cop and walked him to where the coffee was. He poured him a cup and gave him one of the pastries. Thanks kid, the cop said. Herman nodded and noticed the cop smelled like an old sock. Herman looked back at the mechanic. The mechanic saw that Herman did what was asked of him. He nodded for Herman to come back over to him. Herman crossed the shop and the mechanic handed him a work shirt to match the other guys. See that bucket? The mechanic said. Yeah, said Herman. Go ahead and fill that. Use the tap there. And then bring it back over. Herman nodded and headed over to the bucket. He took it to the tap and turned the water on. The bucket filled fast and became heavy. Still, Herman was able to lift it back across the shop over to where the mechanic told him. The end.